want to say welcome to all my friends here in the room and all of you who are worshiping with us online. Some of you are in San Antonio, throughout the Hill Country, throughout the U.S., and really around the globe. I was just looking to see all the folks who are joining us. Skip, Kathy from Tennessee, Gustavo, Amy, Valerie. Uh, last service we had Dennis from Brazil. I don't even know what time it is in Brazil. La uh, last night we had Danielle from Australia. I think Danielle gets the, the farthest uh, traveled award. I'm just kidding, there's not an award. Your award is in heaven. Um, <laughs> but we are uh, so excited that, that you're here today. I'm excited because we are... Um, we're just really obsessed with following Jesus here. I mean, that's kind of what the, the bracelet says there, but we are totally obsessed with following Jesus. And here's why that's so significant, because he is the one thing that transcends all of our cultures. He's the thing that transcends our languages and our countries. And we are obsessed with following Jesus. And I'm excited that you're here. We are kicking off a brand new series we're calling love out loud. So here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking at the authentic love of Jesus. Where does it come from? What does it look like to receive it? What, what does it look like to give it away? Because here's the thing. Our culture, our, our world is hungry for love and looking for love. We hear a lot about it, but we want to look and see what is that authentic love? And so I'm excited that you're here. We're going to be diving into that. And let me tell you another reason why I'm, I'm so passionate about the topic that we're going to be talking about this month. When I was younger, at an early age, I really started to, to read the Gospels for myself. So I, I grew up in church, and I was, I was like some of you guys right now, kind of listening to the preacher, kind of not. And, uh, but then at some point, I started reading the Gospels for myself, and I opened the Bible for myself. And here's what happened. I, I started to fall in love with the way Jesus loved other people. Here's a pretty good summary in Matthew 9. Look at this. Jesus went through all of the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, now get this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The more I started to read the gospels for myself and the more I started to discover this about Jesus, he was touching the people that everyone else was running away from. Okay, you've got the, the outcast, you've got the marginalized, you've got the diseased, the sick. He is touching the, the untouchables. And Jesus is showing people their value, those people who society said had no value. You know what he's doing? He is giving dignity. He is affirming the, the dignity of women. He is treating them well. This was not the norm in Jesus' day. Okay, this was something that was new. Children, they flocked to him. Why? Because, because he knew. He showed them who they were, important. They were valued. He was touching the untouchable. He was... He was getting down on people's level and he was lifting their head and he was looking them in the eye, befriending the friendless. Now, some people didn't care for this. They tried to run him out of town. But Jesus said, just, 
kept reading. He remained undeterred. He continued to love even those who would nail him to a cross. He would say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And as I continued to read, I couldn't help but think, what, what kind of love is this? You see, it wasn't just that Jesus, uh, as he walked the earth, it wasn't just that he touched everyone or that he healed everyone. But he took time for everyone. It wasn't that he just healed the whole world, but he took time for everybody in his world. He showed compassion to people when it was not convenient. You know what he's willing to do? He, he was willing to do for one what he couldn't do for everyone. And I just found myself falling in love with the way that Jesus loved others. And then something else happened. I started meeting people who lived like Jesus lived. Not a perfect life, but, you know, for the sake of others kind of mentality, living for the sake of others. And I would wonder, why, why, do, they, why do they live that way? And sometimes I would even ask, like, why are you leveraging your time and your money for people who have nothing to give you in return? Like, that didn't make any sense to me. Why would you spend so much time serving and helping other people? And as I would ask the question, the answer that I would get back, well, let me tell you the answer I didn't get back. No one wanted to talk to me about their system of beliefs. Now, beliefs are very important and they're foundational, but that's not the answer that I got. It wasn't, well, let me tell you about this religious law that I follow. It wasn't, well, let me tell you about, it's about a societal norm or it's, it's just a matter of being nice to people. No, that's, that's not what I heard. What I began to discover is I would ask the question, why do you live your life that way? I began to discover that love has a name because love is a person. The answer that I kept getting back was Jesus Jesus, Jesus. And then what I was reading started matching up with what I was seeing in people's lives. And I thought, I think, I think I might be on to something that is real, that is authentic. And so I kept pursuing it. And it grabbed my heart and has not let go to this day. So that is why I'm so passionate about what we are going to be talking about this month. You see, we're looking at this love. Where does this kind of love come from? And what does it look like to receive that kind of love? What difference does it make in our lives? And what does it look like to give it away? Set up our time. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 12. And then we're going to read the very end of that. And then we're going to read 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You hear 1 Corinthians 13, you go, wait a second. I've heard that before. I know that before. Wait a second. That was read at our wedding. Now, as we're reading it, just keep in mind that before it was read at a wedding, before it was read to a couple, what we're about to read was first read to a church. More specifically, the church at Corinth it is the Apostle Paul who's writing to the church at Corinth. Why is he writing? Well, because the church, church is a family and like families sometimes do, they were fighting 
They had some issues that they had to deal with. Actually, they had several issues. But the one that Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is that some people believe that certain of the spiritual gifts, the, the gifts that have been given by the Holy Spirit, some of them believe that certain spiritual gifts were more important than other spiritual gifts. And this was causing great disunity in the body. And Paul does this thing. He, he, this is brilliant. He uses a metaphor, something that they would have been very familiar with, something we're very familiar with. He uses the metaphor of the body. And he basically says, is one part of the body more important than another part of the body? No. What is important is that the body is one, that the body is unified. And so right here at the very end of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says this, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Don't you just love that? The most excellent way. Okay, Paul, what is this most excellent way? And Paul says, I'm so glad you asked. And this is how he explains it. Beginning in verse 13, or chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection is in a mirror. Then, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The church at Corinth is having this conflict. They're, they're arguing with each other. And what does Paul do? He points them to this most excellent way. What is this most excellent way? It is love. But not just any love. It's agape love. It is love that has a selfless concern for the welfare of others. The world wants to talk a lot about love, and there are a lot of different versions of love out there, but we're talking about agape. We're talking about the love that comes from God. We see this throughout the scripture. Look at this. For God so, maybe you've heard this before, for God so what? Loved the world that he gave. 
Okay, I want you to just notice the connection between this agape love and this giving. What did he give? He gave his one and only son. Walk in the way of love, agape, just as Christ loved us and there it is again, gave himself up for us, for the entire law, the entire law, the whole thing, it is fulfilled in keeping this one command, just one command, love, agape, your neighbor as yourself. And then finally, husbands, love, agape, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. And there it is again, and gave himself up for her. Agape love. It did not say that God so loved, so he took. God so loved, so he got. God so loved the world that he, he gave. This is a different kind of love. Where does this kind of love come from? It comes from God. How do we know? Because number one, if you're taking notes here, God is love. Love is not just something that God does. It is who he is in his very nature. Love finds its origin, its foundation in God himself. Those of you in your small groups, you're reading through 1 John this month. That's the book that we chose to read through in our small groups and in our personal study. When you get to chapter four, here's what you're going to see. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. In John chapter 17, same writer, different book. Jesus is praying. Jesus knows where things are headed. He knows he's headed to a cross. And he prays to his father. But in John 17, he prays this beautiful prayer. And as he does, he acknowledges that his father loved him before the creation of time. Why is that significant? Because that tells us that before the beginning, before the creation of time, there was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The triune God. Before they would create, they existed, pre-existed in perfect harmony, perfect community, and perfect love. And it would be out of that perfect love that they would create the heavens, the earth, in humanity. You see, love is who God has always been and who he always will be. Now, here's why that's significant for us to know where this love comes from and that God is love. I would imagine, I'm speaking to someone right now who's been let down by someone who you thought loved you. They thought that, that love was a, a feeling. And so when the feeling went away, so did they. 
Maybe this is a reminder for some, and maybe for some this is the first time you've ever heard this, but friend, God's love for you is not based on a feeling. His love for you is not based on some emotion. You see, you cannot be separated from God's love because God's love for you is as he is, constant, unchanging, unshifting, unmovable, unconditional, unwavering. Love never fails because love is not based in some feeling or emotion that we have for a moment. Love is anchored in the bedrock of who God has always been and who he always will be. And that is why real love never fails. And God was willing to show this love. He was willing to prove this love. Number two, God shows love. He not only is love, but he shows love. Here's how he has put on display this great love for us. Continuing in 1 John 4, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This friend is the hope of Jesus. This is, in a nutshell, the gospel of Jesus. You see, in the beginning, well, actually before the beginning, God existed three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect unity, perfect love. Out of that perfect love, they created the heavens and the earth and they created all of humanity. Why? To be a part of their family. This was Eden. This was what God originally intended. But then Adam and Eve decide to go their own way. They distrust God and they go their own way. And it breaks that relationship with God. Romans 3.23 tells us that we have all done exactly the same thing. We've all chosen to walk away from God. We've all chosen to go our own way. And when we did, it caused, the Bible calls that sin. And Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. And when we think about death as a separation from our body, see, this was a death that was a separation from our relationship with God. But God said, I didn't create my family for death. And so what did he do? He sent his one and only son. And Jesus came to this earth and he lived a perfect life, a sinless life. You see, Jesus was the only one who did not sin. He was the only one who did not deserve death, but that's exactly what he took upon himself as he absorbed and took on our death. He died our death on the cross. And as he did, as the perfect spotless lamb of God, a sacrifice once and for all, he canceled our sin as he took it upon himself. But on the third day, he rose from the grave and canceled the consequence of our death. John 1.12 tells us that if we place our trust in the finished work of Jesus, if we place our trust in Jesus, Jesus places himself in us. And Jesus immediately returns us back to that family that we were originally created for. He takes us from death 
and places us back in life. This is the hope of Jesus. This is the gospel of Jesus. Anyone who believes, anyone who places their trust in Jesus is placed in God's family. God did all of this so that we would know how great his love is. He is love. And he sent his one and only son to atone for our sin. God has shown his love. But he didn't just show us his love for our sake. He didn't just pour his love into us for us, but for the sake of others so that his love would be poured through us. Look at this, still in 1 John 4. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to, there it is, love one another. Number three, God commands love. I know, especially in our culture here in America, uh, we don't really care for anyone commanding us about really anything. But God commands love. And I want you to think about it. I, I know that may sound a little harsh, but would you expect anything less from a God who is love? Is it not the most loving thing that he could do to command his followers to receive his love, but then give it away, then share it with others. So yes, God commands love because Christianity is not just about a set of beliefs. Beliefs are important. It's, it's not, love is not just some monument to moralism. It's a movement of the Holy Spirit. And when God sent his son, he was unleashing his kingdom on this earth. And it's still to this day a movement of love. Look at what Jesus says in John 13. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. There it is again, agape. I mean, I don't know. He could have said a lot of different things right here. I don't know. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you, I don't know, debate one another or judge one another, or I could have put a lot of things in there, but he said, if you love one another, God commands love. And it's not just a love that we somehow manufacture within ourselves to give to people. No, he has placed his love in us so that it can overflow through us. God doesn't just command love, he orchestrates it. I mean, constantly through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is constantly orchestrating selfless acts of love through his followers. Just ask Michael. A couple weeks ago, Michael found himself in Lowe's and he happened to notice this mower. It was in perfect condition. It had been returned back to the store, right? So it had a pretty good discount. Guys 
can I get an amen? When you see a discount, it's kind of kind of hard to pass up. And he saw this perfectly good mower. But here's the thing. If he bought this perfectly good mower, then when he got home, he would have two perfectly good mowers and one wife with more than one question. And so he had to kind of figure this out and, and think about. And then a plan started to formulate. He got the mower. He went home. He and his wife started to talk about it. And as they were talking, the Holy Spirit brought Victoria into their conversation. Victoria. Victoria is our newest homeowner with our Habitat for Humanity. And they got to thinking, you know, maybe we should just check on Victoria. Maybe, maybe she could. Well, they did a little research. And guess what? Victoria now has her own lawn, but she doesn't have a lawnmower. All right, okay. So they did a little more research and they ended up donating the, the mower to Victoria. And when they got there and delivered the mower, Victoria's mom was there and Victoria's mom was just beaming with pride as she saw the pride of ownership in Victoria. Now the point of this story is not a mower. It's a movement of the Holy Spirit this is a story about God's timing. You see, God had already decided that he was going to bless Victoria before Michael ever walked into the store. He had it all orchestrated. He had it all figured out. Michael didn't know what was going on at the time. Victoria didn't know, but God knew that he was going to bless Victoria. And what Michael would figure out is that God was actually orchestrating a blessing for Michael as well. How many times do we get these kind of promptings? Somebody comes to our mind. We don't even know where it comes from. We think, I haven't thought about them in a long time. And, and they just kind of come to mind. Listen, we can either receive those promptings as what they are, promptings from the Holy Spirit, or we can just think, well, you know, that's coincidence, or maybe I ate a bad piece of pizza, or I, I don't know what we might acknowledge. But many times we just dismiss those promptings. And when we do, we withhold a blessing from other people. And you know what else? We withhold the blessing from ourselves. Because the Holy Spirit is constantly orchestrating these, these holy moments. I know it can be scary. I know it can be uncomfortable, right? I'll tell you about something I did this past week that was a little scary and was a little uncomfortable. And I know I'm a, I'm a pastor and I'm not supposed to be uncomfortable with these things, but I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I am. Here's what I did. Uh, I went with a small group of people uh, to team up at an apartment complex with the resident support team. And they said, okay, here's your job. You have one job. Don't blow it. So what the job was, I was supposed to go around and uh, welcome the new tenants. So the people who had moved in, in the last few weeks. And so they gave me uh, some boxes of homemade cookies and said, hey, just deliver the cookies. Tell them who you are and let them know that we're here. If there's any way that we can help them. And if there's any spiritual guidance you can give them, you might ask them if you can pray for them. And, uh, you know, maybe even share the gospel with them if, if it comes to that. And, you know, so I, I set out and I started knocking on doors. I was amazed at how many people actually, actually opened the door. I mean, people were very uh, open with their lives and very open to talk. 
I mean, there, there was one lady who, uh, she answered the door and uh, I gave her the box of cookies and I asked her if there was any way that I could pray for her and she kind of stepped in her door and looked at the TV and she goes, I'm kind of busy right now and just shut the door. <laughs> I really wanted to knock on the door and ask for the cookies back, but I thought, <laughs> I thought that's gonna send the wrong message. So I just kept moving. But I'm telling you guys, I'm still praying for Nick. Talk to Nick. Nick was so open with his life. Nick got out of prison two weeks ago. And he's moved here to be closer to family. And as we got to talking, he said, you know, I'm, I'm on a much better road right now. I've got support around me. And I got to pray for him. We got to, to talk about Jesus. I said, Nick, I, I got to know, do you, do you know that God loves you? And there was this smile that came on his face. Let me know that he's still searching, but he knows and he's on a path. I have no idea what the Holy Spirit's gonna do from here with Nick. I'm praying for Mike. Mike was 23 years old, lost his mom to cancer when he was 15. Angry at the world. Can you imagine? Bounced around, made poor decisions. I asked him, I said, do you, do you know this love of Jesus in your life? And he said, I'm not in that dark place anymore. Same thing. I'm praying for Shay. Shay's four months pregnant, first child, you can tell. She's nervous. I was so glad she answered the door. We got to talking about Jesus and she said, I'll just be honest with you. I asked her if she had a church home. And she said, you know, since I got pregnant, I've actually thought I, I wanna find a church because the truth is I'm not really sure what I believe, but I think I could use some help figuring it out. I gave her the name of a pastor in a, in a church that was right there in her neighborhood. And I'm praying that, that Shay will find her community and that she will find the love of Jesus. And it occurred to me, if complete strangers can have conversations like this, we're standing there at their door, they're totally open with their lives, and we're talking about these things that have eternal significance. If complete strangers can do that, then why don't we do that more often in the sphere of influence that God has already given us? Those people we already know, those people we see on the daily, those people who, where we live, work, learn, and play. This is at the core of our vision here at Oak Hills Church, that we would be a community of disciples who courageously engage culture with the hope of Jesus where we live, work, learn, and play because those are the places that God has already placed us. Amen. Now, I wonder what would happen. I got to thinking, what if we just did that? What if we just went to the places where we live, work, learn, and play, and, and what, if, what if we just asked people, is there any way that I can pray for you? And I don't know, maybe, maybe there's a, a, a burden or a concern that comes out. You can pray for those things. Or you could even say, you know what? There was a time in my life where I kind of went through something similar. Sometimes we call that our testimony. And it's real simple. There was a time in my life, and, and here's what happened, and here's what Jesus did. 
And maybe you even get a sense that there's a, there's a door opening where you can just share the gospel of Jesus, where you can just share how Jesus brought you from death to life. Who knows what might happen? And this weekend in the room, worshiping online, I don't know, there's probably going to be somewhere around 10,000 people. Even uh, at the end of this month, there could be up to around 100,000 views of, of this message. Maybe, maybe you're watching this. What if we all just said five? Five people, Holy Spirit, prompt me, lead me to five people. And the truth is, some of you, you've already been prompted. You just need to act on the prompting you've already received. But if nothing comes to mind, think about those five people where you live, work, learn, and play. Moms, dads, those five may be sleeping underneath your roof. Oh, we have such a privilege in our families. Our kids are watching and they need us to guide them spiritually. And here's the thing. You don't have to be perfect. Thank you, Lord, we don't have to be perfect. But you do have to be present. And so many years ago, that's what I fell in love as I saw the way that Jesus loved others. He was so present. So I want you to think about this. What if just five, where we live, work, learn, and play, we could unleash the love of Jesus Christ on our world. Now, we might not change the whole world, but I promise you this, it will change yours. Let's just pray about that right now. Father, would you prompt us through the power of your Holy Spirit? If there is a name, if there is a person that you would want to lead us to, would you give us their name right now where we live? And maybe that neighbor that we see every day and we talk a lot about the weather or whatever Father would you just give us that opening for that person that you're putting on our hearts right now Father where we work that person that we see every day we spend so much time with and so much time around help us to be sensitive to the prompting of your Holy Spirit where we learn Father a lot of us are students we have classmates, we have teachers, we have administrators all around us. We have opportunities all around us. We pray for opportunities where we learn. And finally, where we play. Our recreation, sports, the things that, that you've just wired us and created us to do for fun and the people that that brings into our lives. Would you give us a name? Would you give us an opportunity for your love to pour into us and through us for the healing of others? Father, right now we're, we know there's a lot of hurt in our world, but we also know that the answer is love and that love has a name. This is personal. 
Father, we thank you. Continue to prompt us, continue to orchestrate agape love. In the name of Jesus, amen.